we just stand in the honor of the word and we thank the Lord for his voice in our life. I read from an Old Testament prophet, the first of the minor, with a major message. Comes from the book of Hosea. Hosea. I'll give you a moment to find Hosea in your Bible. Small book. Prophetic word of Hosea. If you have one of those tabs, that helps. And if you don't have one of those tabs and I start reading, just stop wherever you are and act like you found it and just look up at the screen. I've done that before. It's on the screen. It'll be on the screen in just a moment. But if you do have your Bible, which I hope you have your Bible, there's a just one little part here would be good for you to underline or highlight. <clears throat> if you don't have your Bible, just take your pen and scratch it on the screen of your device. And it'll remind you to bring your actual Bible to church next time. That didn't go over as well as I felt, but it felt good for me. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Just just one verse. Ephraim. Hosea writes. Verse 8, Hosea 7 and 8. When you get it, say amen. <clears throat> Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. He's mixed himself. He's a cake not turned. Amen. I could have read a lot of scriptures to you out of this book, but I had to just bring it down to one. And this is where I landed because it's important for us to know it. Just at the onset, I want everyone to know I'm interested in Jesus. I'm trying to find him every day, just so you know. I'm trying to minister like David did, the Bible says, to his own generation, and then he fell asleep. Before I die, I want to minister to my generation. I'm not ministering to a future one or a past, but here. And I'm praying that the Lord will help us. I want to encourage everybody in the church to find a place to serve somewhere. Serve, serve. Youth, children, bus ministries, Wednesday nights, cleaning, maintenance, serve. If you serve, you'll feel connected. The more I serve, the more I feel connected. The less I serve, the less I feel connected. Find a place to serve. And, and if the place that, you're, that you find is not really where you want to be, serve there to the best of your ability until God moves you into the next place of serving. And then God will open doors that nobody can shut. It's okay. There's no menial work when it comes to the church. Praise God. Okay. We'll get to that. Now I pray, Lord, bless the word that you've already blessed, but bless it coming out of my mouth and bless the people to receive it. Keep your hand upon this church, this body. Let this place be a lighthouse in our community to reach the lost, the hurting, the hopeless. Let the church become the true body of Jesus Christ. Let this body be formed and framed in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of faith. I pray for everybody going through struggles and pain, loss, 
for Sister Kathy Records that lost her husband. I pray for her, for Mother Morris and the loss of her family member, brother. I pray for all the people, Lord, that are struggling with sickness and illness. I pray for Sister Sargent. I pray for Mark Manley, I pray. For all the people that are ill and need help, raise them up. Pray for all the folks today that are struggling in their faith, struggling with doubt. Pray for them. Pray for all the marriages today that are suffering and need to be united and for wayward children and homes and finances and all the burdens of the people, Lord. Without you, we are nothing. We can do nothing. So I seek you, Jesus, today on behalf of all the people and on myself. Be in our midst, Savior. Be here. We can't save ourselves, but you can save us. Forgive us, Lord, of having our minds so caught up with the things of this world that we forget to seek after you. So I pray today, be here and be with us. Captivate our hearts, arrest our attention. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people lifting up your hands and voices right now and calling on God. And all the people calling on God. And all the people speaking His name. Come on, everybody speaking His name. The name that's above every other name. Amen. I thank you for standing. And when you're seated, then I'd like you to clap your hands unto the Lord when you find your place. You're clapping unto him. I offer myself and everyone else a little grace here today. I know that I'm about to step off into a world scriptural world so vastly different from our own. The scriptures, the holy scriptures, are able to make us wise into salvation. But sometimes these biblical accounts are very difficult to grasp. The words and the stories found in this book are far removed from our own culture. Some passages seem strange to us. There are some chapters where the Bible presents God in a very foreign light. But I cannot bypass the word just because it might stretch my thinking. Rather, I submit that the Bible is the vehicle that must be used to intentionally expand our thoughts towards God. The Word is the book of God. The Testaments declare Him. They depict Him in His fullness, at least as much as we could know. (laughs) They pull back the curtain even so slightly on the wonder of His glory. No other book can do that. No other writing can give us access to the blessing of his atoning blood and the majesty of his splendor, the Bible. The Bible declares itself, every word of God is true. Every word of God is pure. Thy word is the lamp. It's lighting the way. Forever, O Lord, thy word is established. Young men, the Bible says, are cleansed by the word. Salvation comes by it. It is the word that gives us comfort in our times of affliction. How about this Psalm 119? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. It looks like when I keep the word, it puts me in the right path. I have purpose and destination, a place to port my life. So which book should we leave out today? Which one do we embrace more than the other? I say that they are all together. Though they are segmented into 66 different books written over a couple thousand years, they are one in the same. 
They are the intertwining of the story of redemption and recovery and salvation and love. Hope and help are found there. Restoration and forgiveness is seen on the pages. All of which makes us glad and fills our hearts with peace. While all of it is for our good, there are warnings about the ways of people, us, mankind, nations, the church. We're not just given the highlights, but we're also ushered into the dark rooms of forsaken commitments and evil deeds of people. Israel is our example and the patriarchs mark our path. They are like a dot-to-dot image, weaving their way into a picture that both confronts our own thoughts and our deeds and then shows us the way of escape from this fleshly life. And I stand here as a paltry poet just milling out the book that holds truth and guidance, uncovering the pitfalls and failures of God's chosen people in an effort to keep us from failing and falling into the same snare. And when I look into the Old Testament, it gives sufficient light to the writers of the new. It's Peter who will expand on the deeds of Israel. He's looking in his own life, He's looking at the conduct of the children of Israel, even the people around him. He's offering instruction to the church in his day, and he's given us the same insight for our day. And he writes this. He said, beside this, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue into virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience. And add add patience to godliness. And to godliness, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love, charity. For if these things be in you, he said, and abound, that means they're growing, they're not stagnant. They make you, they form you, they design you, they chip things away in you, they reconstruct you, they make you, that you shall never be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things, he's blind, can't see afar off, forgot that he was even forgiven. You lack him, you forget. Blind. Walking around thinking that you see everything, but you don't. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence. There it is again, diligence again. To make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, you'll never fall. It's pretty powerful. Peter's barely opened up his second book when he says, besides this, which literally means because of this. What was this? What is he talking about? Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You've been given a great gift, ladies and gentlemen. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then after that, add all this stuff. Because of, because of what you've been given, add to your life. It's kind of like it's kind of like a children who are living in a house where their mother and their father have been investing for them. And their mother and father pass away and leave them an inheritance. A gift. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't you, didn't you, does anybody wish that their mom and dad had left and inheritance. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, I'm spending my children's inheritance? Does anyone know right now that you're going to get something later? But does anyone know that there's no way that you're going to get anything later but the bills? Huh? If anybody here knows that just because your mom and dad don't have a bumper sticker, you know what they're doing. It's kind of like kids who receive something. You don't squander that. You add to it. You've been given a gift. A gift. So much. Divine partakers we've escaped, but getting out, ladies and gentlemen, was only part, one part of the process. Stay with me now. 
was it that I just taught? Peter is expanding on the deeds of Israel. They escaped the bondage of Egypt. But getting out of Egypt didn't bring them into Canaan. Peter said, you've escaped, but now you have to add something. It's good that you've come this far, but now you have to add on. I'm not going to go down this road very far, but I just want to say that if you do these things, you shall never fall implies that if you do not do these things, you are destined to fall. That's where I begin. I begin at the end of it. When Israel was brought out, but they struggled in their newfound freedom. Because of their failure to constrain themselves, they died in the wilderness. A whole generation of them died. Even after that, they were consumed by their living. And it's here that I turn your attention to the prophet, almost forgotten in the modern pulpit. Thankfully, I'm old school. (laughs) Which is an embarrassment to my children, but a comfort to my mother. I've got tennis shoes. I've got Michael Jordan tennis shoes. They cost over $100. 17 years ago. And I, I play basketball in them when I'm with my kids. Mm-hmm. They're in perfect shape. I haven't worn them very often. Kind of a little high top going on there. My boys begged me not to play basketball in the shoes. Please don't do that. They're, they're, they started out all white. They're mostly white, but the edges of them have kind of yellowed. I don't care. They're Michael Jordan basketball shoes and they cost over a hundred dollars. I'm aware of them. In fact, even if I don't want to play basketball, I'm aware of them because they need to be worn. I'm going to preach all the Bible, whether it's palatable or modern or people like it or don't like it. It's not really even old school. It's just Bible school. (laughs) I'm commissioned by the Lord to preach the whole counsel of God. When When a church is fed only praise and worship, they have joy and they have fun, but they have no root. When they're fed only sacrifice, they have root, but they have no joy. You got to have both. That's why when David brought the Ark of the Covenant back from Obadiah's house, he, he stopped every six paces, made a sacrifice, killed a lamb, and then shouted the rest of the way, killed a lamb, shouted six more paces, killed a lamb. It was sacrifice and worship. Sacrifice and worship. There was blood and there was praise all the way back to Jerusalem. So, here's Hosea, the son of Bere. His name actually means salvation. It's an incredible thing, Hosea. His book is a love story. It's real, it's tragic, it's true. God uses him as a living example of Israel's failure. Can you imagine? God's going to use this man as an image of Israel's failure. That's why I say that these biblical accounts are so difficult for me to grasp. The words and stories are so far removed from our own culture and Americanism. Hosea will become, hear this, a living parable. I pause to ask someone, would you allow God to make you such? To be a real servant of the Lord takes far more commitment than our religious charlatans will ever tell you. Think of this Hosea and the book which God inspired. A young man here, full of promise, full of life. A young man who could have chosen anyone to be his bride. But transcending this young man's life is a command by God to marry that woman. Her name is Gomer. He is obedient to the Lord. In time, they'll have some children. But after the children, she'll be unfaithful to him. And she'll have children with other men. Even still, in obedience to God, think of this now, 
In obedience to God, Hosea marries Gomer and remains faithful to her all the days of his life. He will take her back again and again and again. His relationship to her, with her, in her adultery, with the children involved, will become a living, prophetic example of God's faithfulness to his own people. He is showing himself through the life of Hosea in real time. God told Hosea in advance that the woman he was going to marry would be unfaithful. And Hosea walked into this marriage knowing full well what the future held. He knew what was coming, but he still loved her. God used Hosea to preach a life message to the children of Israel out of Hosea's own current and painful experience. His own life became a message. Gomer will leave Hosea. She's going to leave him. She'll follow her own lust. But each time she left, Hosea pursued her and he would find her and he would bring her back. Gomer would leave him and then be caught, bound by her own desire. Hosea would find her. He would pay for her freedom to get her out. Hence the name Salvation. Salvation sought her out. Salvation brought her home, reconciled her fully, embraced her and the children of another man. God was the image of Hosea. The people of Israel was the image of the unfaithful Gomer. And Hosea writes of their idolatry, which he calls adultery. They began so well. They left Egypt. They entered the land of milk and honey. They had Moses. They had Joshua. And then later they had David and prophets. They had the law combined with miracles and wonders. But Hosea will write about the things they did not have. He writes about their absence of discipline. How they made commitments to God and then broke them routinely. They bowed before the sword of their oppressors. And when it became so unbearable, they cried out to the Lord. And God said, in that day I will respond. I will hear from the heavens and they shall hear from the earth. But the embrace of Hosea will not last long. Gomer will find what she needs at home, food, love, and restoration, all of it, she feels good for a moment, but she'll walk out the door again. It's another affair. It's another lover. She has momentary, perhaps seasonal relationships with her husband. He's a safe place for her until her heart and desires turn away. She hides her unpacked bag beneath the bed, and while he sleeps, she turns the door on its hinges, and then she hides in the shadows of her sinful lair. She embraces her lovers. She forsakes the vows given to her own husband and becomes lost in the darkness of sinful ambition. And Hosea writes this of the children of Israel. Gomer is the people and they are her. She is real and so too are they. And Israel is not just bound by the pages of the Old Testament, but they are mirrored in every age of the church. They weave their way through the silent years that separate Malachi from Matthew. They advance through the apostles and launch into the parts of Asia Minor. They are intertwined through the centuries of leaders, both religious and secular, hoping for reprieve from the likes of Constantine and the myriads of the caliphates. The dark ages often overtake them. They are a thread, however, that make it out. They become targets in the late centuries until they break through in the late 18th century. I'm racing through many years and times, but I must because the church lives on in us and it's Israel that meets us in the mirror Paul puts it this way now all of these things happen unto them for examples or examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come so when Hosea writes in his own present prophetic form about Gomer not only was he writing about Israel but he was pointing out a pitfall of all future believers he was offering a warning to us today to the church that would be built by Jesus Christ. It happens probably to every believer in every place. It might come, probably comes. Are you ready for the word? Familiarity. We're familiar to the cross and the blood. And we sang the song and I had 
a little knot. Your blood is enough. And I wondered, am my words just following a melody and a rhyme? Or do I believe that? Is it enough? It might be that we are so blessed with his grace and mercy. That this is what's happened. But we are exposed in the words of Hosea. And Israel. Israel who found delight in wicked things. They had other lovers and other loves. Other passions besides God. He didn't want to share his love with the delights of the world. Hosea is writing to a divided kingdom. He writes to the northern kingdom, which is also designated by him as Ephraim, because that was the most influential tribe in the north, Ephraim. Samaria was the capital, yes. Israel was the land, but Ephraim was the head. Ephraim had been given the gift of knowledge and ability, of talent and of wealth. Israel was the whole area there to the north, but Ephraim was the tribe that had all of it. Ephraim was the tribe that had great understanding of all things and they had the free flow of authority. It was the lead in the kingdom. It had the resources of all the northern tribes. And it was Ephraim who Hosea addressed. Ephraim has mixed with other nations. Ephraim has grown weak but doesn't even know it. Ephraim, he says, used to be strong in the truth but has drifted and they don't even know how far they've drifted. Here's the verse. His hair is sprinkled with gray. He don't even know he doesn't know it. He thinks he's the same as he's always been, but the sprinkling with gray denotes a weakness. He's gotten weak. Arrogance testifies against him, the Bible says. He seeks out Egypt, a reference to intellectualism. He turns to Assyria, Assyria, a reference to physical strength. He wants to be smart and he wants to be strong. He wants to be self-sufficient. And then Hosea writes, he is a cake not turned unbalanced does not even begin to describe Ephraim. I reject those passive findings. They weren't just out of balance. They weren't just the people who did some good things and striving for the righteous things. They were a cake unturned, not turned. You could not move them. Nothing really got to them. Conviction had lost its power. Prophets had come and gone and they had just dismissed them. There's just another voice. Here's a voice and there is a voice. We can just listen to whatever we want. We've got it good. They were a cake not turned. Tears to cry was a thing of the past. No one would ever submit to that. Humility was out of fashion for Ephraim. Daily consecration was boring. They were a cake not turned. No prophet, no judge, priest, leader, rabbi, or elder could ever move them. They sat stone-faced, not turned. Hard-hearted, not turned. Deliberately quiet, not turned. A cake not turned. They had heard it all and seen it all. They had all the wealth and all the wisdom. Ephraim was the great power of the tribe. They knew everything. They had all the power and all the wealth. They never struggled for food. They never struggled for clothes. And they had all the military's power, power and strength they would ever want in their life. Ephraim. And nobody was going to turn them over. No one was, gonna, no one was ever going to get to them. They, no one could get to them. No crisis. The praise would never be uttered. Submission, what is that? No, we don't need to be submission. What are you talking about? I, I do my own thing. I got my own life. No one could ever provoke them to do something to do good. Guilt could not even move them. Come on, have you ever been moved by guilt? Come on, please tell me you've been moved. I, you, no, come on, don't you know you've been moved by guilt? You felt guilty even for little things. You felt guilty. Okay, I'll do it. Why? Because I felt guilty. You know, send him a card in the mail. Felt guilty. A Christmas card. Do, don't you know that a lot of the Christmas cards that, that I've sent out, I felt like maybe I should send them out. What if I don't send them out? <laughs> I felt guilty. I'm, I'm motivated by guilt. Have you ever walked your dog because you just felt guilty that maybe they're just... It's getting fat right there, and they just, just feed them, and just say, "Man, I, I got this dog, and I never walk it." Okay, I'll, I feel guilt. You don't want to do it, but you're motivated by guilt. Come on. Am I the only one who's gotten in in, in my in your in the wife's in your wife's car 
and it's like, you know, less than a quarter of a tank and you're just going down the road, but you think maybe I should fill it up. Did I sign on to that? And then you just go ahead, okay, I'll go to Thornton's down there and I'll fill it up. And what was it? You just felt, you didn't have the time, but you did it anyway. Come on, am I the only guy? Is that what you all do? Do you, you get up and say, well, well let me check the, the car, make sure everyone has gas in the car. I'm motivated by guilt, a lot of guilt. I, I would even submit that people even come to church because they're motivated by guilt. I guess I got to go. I don't want to go to hell. Not really wanted to come, but they just feel guilty if they don't come. Guilt. You feel guilt. And perhaps we don't even do a few things that we, that we shouldn't do because we don't want to feel guilty. <laughs> we do things because we're, we feel guilty. We don't do things because we don't want to be guilty. I give them a piece of my mind, but I don't want to deal with what's going to happen afterwards. Now, some of you folks don't have any mind to lose. Just, just keep your mind. Keep it. Don't give any pieces away. You know who you are. You might not know. You might have given too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Ephraim, they didn't feel guilty. They didn't feel guilty. Fear didn't affect them. They weren't afraid. Reverence was not found in their vocabulary. They were a cake not turned. They had so much. They were given so many gifts. They squandered them on their own pleasures. Sacrifices to God seemed senseless to them. The years had rendered them indifferent to holy living and righteous pursuits. They were a cake not turned. Burned on one side. Seared to dullness. And undone on the other side. And I know where the modern church lands. I know where the pulpiteers point. They are found in more pleasant pastures like the Sermon on the Mount, the wonders of the loaves. All of it is incredible and needful. But even then, as they followed him, many of the religious men looking around, Jesus finally turned to those religious men. He said, Isaiah was right about you. You follow me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You say all the right things, but your heart is just cold. I got to stand here and minister to my generation. And I will tell you in my generation that today you sit in the most bountiful, most free, most blessed country in the world. We have so much. And not to add any disparaging words to any other denomination of people who are seeking for God. I would just tell you though, with boldness, not arrogance, that scripturally and doctrinally and with revelation, we have so much. We have so much word. And so much teaching. And so much insight. And so much scripture. Even 500 years ago, few people had a written Bible in their home. As little as 50 years ago, very few people had even a concordance in their library. They were massive things and they cost a lot of money. We have every kind of thing. Translations and Greek and Hebrew and all kinds of things to help us to understand. We have all kinds of YouTube channels and all kinds of teaching on CD and podcast. We have every, we have so much. So much. We are blessed with so many things. We don't even think about it. Just about the end of almost every service. I don't know why, but in the evening, almost every service, we're just fellowshipping. And, and most people have gone home, but a few of you can testify that I'm telling the truth here. Because I've got to tell the truth here. I will die if I don't tell the truth here. <laughs> I don't want to die. Now you, if you want to, go ahead. You can lie all you want. I'm not going to lie. I ain't lying for you. But I'm going to tell you, some of you know this truth. That sometimes we're standing here and the whole lights go out. It's a subtle message from the sound guys, go home. 
Now, Brother Huttiger's sitting over there waiting for everyone to go so he can turn the lights out. But I think what he's got going on with him and the sound people is just, if it gets too bad, just turn all the lights down. Take about 60 seconds, three minutes to get them back up. Is that what's going on over there? Okay. <laughs> they keep telling me it's something about the system. The system, the system just does it. It just does it. The lights all gonna, the lights don't go down while I'm preaching. We don't even blink because we have lights. In fact, everybody would think it's kind of odd, you know, if we didn't have lights. But in Venezuela right now, they're struggling to find food. And the Koreans are laid to waste because there are three and four generations of people that have been born in prison camps and will die there and never know anything because their father was a prisoner and their grandfather was a prisoner and their great-grandfather was a, was a prisoner. And they eat anything they can to survive. Their life expectancy is barely above 30 years old. And there's millions of them today. While the great majority of Russians are still living under the heavy hand of dictatorship and stand still in many, many lines to get a ration of bread and meat for the day. Millions of Christians are openly oppressed in China right now today. The wars in Congo have left a generation rippled, scattered graves, mostly unmarked. Countries that bind our western continents together are often without electricity. They don't have any lights or air conditioner. So many parts of the world live on less than two American dollars a day and they use less than 20 ounces of water every day. That doesn't even mean it's clean water. We use more water getting the water tap warm than they use an entire day. Haiti is torn apart. Ravaged by a dysfunctional government. Ravaged by lack of teaching. Our missionary that stood here in this house last September cannot keep up. His orphanage is full and overflowing. His medical clinic is always out of supplies. The food they give out is routinely empty. They've got nothing left. It is illegal to convert a Muslim to Christianity in so many places in the Middle East. If they ever convert, they lose their businesses, their jobs, their homes, and everything. They are kicked out if they ever convert. They ever openly convert. Food rations are often tied to religious practices in Liberia. Food rations. It depends on what you believe if you get food. A little handfuls of rice. Says So says our people. I sat down at a table this last week. I opened my Bible. I was reading my Bible. I had a little cup of coffee in my notebook. It was in the morning. It was a long table. There was no room to share it. I sat down there and the, there was a little couple sitting on this end, no one here on my left, and they were on this end, and I was sat down next to the wall and I had my Bible. And I'm just having this t table and there is this lady, she has her head covered with a scarf and there's an elderly man sitting next to them. They had already eaten their food and they had their little coffees in their hands and I had my little coffee in my hand. Was, they commented on my Bible and and then he began to share his life. We talked a little bit. He's a doctor from a little country called Kashmir. 16 million people. It's divided between Pakistan and India. 16 million of them. Most of them have been brutally beaten. They're caught in the middle of a war in between India and Pakistan. It's a proxy war. Resolutions by the dozens have gone before the UN. Nothing has come out of it. He told me of their struggle. So many of them live with so little. Some of them, some of the ruling officials had decided to turn off their internet. They have no internet in the whole country. Then they cut off their cell towers. They have no way to communicate. The young people then revolted in the streets only to, met, to be met with gunfire. But not AK-47s and not AR-15s, but with pellet guns. The doctor said, Pastor, why do you think they shot our children with pellet guns? I was dumbfounded. He said because that was the best way to put out their eyes and keep them alive. They did not die, but hundreds and hundreds of our young people are blind. His son makes 
There's so much more. His son makes good money in California, has a great job. He's a brilliant young man. His daughter also in another country. So much money she makes. I said, I said, doctor, you could leave, couldn't you? He said, yeah, I can, but I can't leave my people. If I leave, they will have less and I'll have nothing. I said, you're right. You could get rid of your current life and live in a gated community and drive a Lexus, but you would never get out of your burden. He leaned forward and his eyes lit up and I finally said to him, we never get a vacation from our burden. Right then and there I knew I'm turned. I get turned over. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I can be on the middle of the Atlantic. I'm turned over. There's no place to remove the turning. And I pray today that I am never unmoved. I pray that I'm never a cake that's not turned salvation has its arms wide open and wisdom calls for all of us and I quote from the great man of wisdom himself he said to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding to receive the instruction of wisdom justice and judgment and equity to give subtlety to the simple that's prudence to the young man knowledge and discretion a wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel to understand a proverb and the interpretation and the words of the wise and there are sayings the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction here's verse 20 wisdom oh, she cries out come she uttereth her voice in the streets she crieth out in the in the chief place of concourse even in this house here in the openings of the gates of the city she uttered her words saying how long ye simple ones will you love simplicity and the scorners delight their scorning and fools hate knowledge come on come to me turn you at my reproof behold I'll pour out my spirit unto you I'll make you know my words unto you we have so much we've got it at our disposal so much we have things we don't even think about so many things so much so much so much so much we are laden with the blessings of modernism technology and our age we are fattened on insights progress and biblical understandings we have conveniences unheard of in any era and unique still in most of the known world that's why we work harder hold hold it on diluting our fasting and we find ways to skirt sacrifice we have so much and so much so much a cake not turned. And I was convicted when we did our when we did our missionary because I had a good number in my hand, in my heart, brother, and my mind. I had a good number what I was going to give to the missionary. Jamie and I met with the children over here on the platform to my right, and we started praying, and, and I realized that number that I was going to give, the amount of money I was going to give to a missionary, fit very nicely into my budget. And if it fit into my budget, it could not be a sacrifice. If it fit into my budget, I would be a cake not turned. Just burned on one side, indifferent to the call of God. And so that number that I had that was convenient, it grew by ten times. And I knew we didn't have that kind of money. That did not fit into my budget. But God was faithful. And the last $2,000 showed up in cash in my office when someone walked in and said, I just feel like we ought to give you and your wife $2,000 and handed us $2,100 bills. And we had not expected that from anybody. But we promptly walked from there into the office and put it down on the desk and said, Praise God! We were not a cake that could not be turned. And God came through. I tell you today that a closed fist that does not give is also the same hand that cannot receive. Yeah, we got so much. And it burdens me. And the image of that doctor speaking to me burning into my mind and I walked away from that table I took a little picture with him I said I just can I just take a picture of both of you I just got to remember who you are I got to remember this day and he said we started a little a little group it's a little little thing called Maj tell me what that means he said it's, it means mother 
We're teaching mothers how to knit and how to sew. So they can have a little means to take care of themselves. And every time he spoke, another dagger went in my heart. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go back home. And when I go back home, something's going to happen to my life. Something's going to happen to my heart. I know I cannot be the same person. I never get a break. I can never, I don't want to break from the burden. I want to walk every day, be wearing of the times. I want to walk into this house knowing that somebody is lost. And in my city, I want to know that everybody in this city needs to be baptized in the matchless name of Jesus Christ because it's in the book I want to know that there's no Bible off limit I pray there's no scripture off limit I woke up this morning early praying for several people in this house today I was praying for your soul I wasn't praying for your prosperity or your healing I was praying for your soul I woke up at 514 I know that because that's what the clock said 514 Praying for the souls of the people. (sighs) For some to be turned, it takes a skilled orator. For others, it takes a powerful story. We've heard so many good things, it's hard to hear another good one. For some people, it takes a spectacular miracle. For them to rejoice. They haven't ever danced before the Lord. Because they're waiting on the miracle. They won't dance. The modern church barely blinks. When there's a healing of a back or a neck. A foot or a headache. Because we don't consider a headache. A real healing. God could have healed us of a headache. Could have taken the pain away. But we won't utter a word because we know it just doesn't rise to the level of our expectation. I've heard the reply. I've talked to a lot of pastors. Probably in the last three or four years, I've spoken, seven years, I've spoken to hundreds of pastors. I hear this all the time. It's gotten on my last nerve. And I've started to send this out in text and messages and communiques. How many people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They said, how many received the baptism? How many spoke in tongues for the first time? Well, five of them, but, but three of them were children. Or we had three or four, but they were all children. As if a child receiving the Holy Ghost is less wonderful than an adult. It's just not as awesome. Let's just face it. When an eight-year-old gets the Holy Ghost... We just don't really get excited. Like if a 40-year-old gets the Holy Ghost. We become a cake, not turned. And when someone's healed of a backache or a pain, we don't rejoice and shout. But I promise you, when Alex Hutchins receives his miracle, you'll do things you've never done before. But I wonder if we'll ever get there because we've never gotten here. You're waiting for the big spectacular thing to get turned. I'm going to tell you, until you turn yourself now, you may never see the big and spectacular thing. Because, let me just say, because when you get turned now, you'll realize it's all big and spectacular. I ask you today, what moves you? What causes you to feel the unction of the Spirit? What does it take for you to be moved to joy or tears or emotions? What song or sermon or testimony is needed to invoke a response from the depths of your heart and your mind? Something down deep in the reaches of your soul? Or have we spent our emotional reservoir already on the Super Bowl and the political arena? Dear God, if people were just as excited and passionate about Jesus Christ, the lost, as they are about all the politicians, none of them are named Hosea.
oh, oh, wait, I know. Don't get out there in the politics. You'll offend a lot of people. I'm going to tell you what. I don't care about any of them. I care about Jesus Christ. I care about him. I'm after him. I'm not after them. Yes, I'll vote, but I'm caring about him. I'm after the Lord. What does the Lord say I need to do? How, do I, how should I live? I've got to get back to the word of God. What, what moves you? I cannot speak for you. But I can speak for myself. Jesus, you don't have to do anything more than you've already done. Because I stand in awe of you today, Lord. I rise in awe of you. I've come to worship you because of who you are. You are the Lord and there is none else. In the cross, be my glory ever. In the cross, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. And I'm drawn like a man stranded in the dark to the words of light shining spoken by the prophet Samuel. I read them for you. Samuel said to the people, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. He's not going to forsake them because of his own name. Because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. It's all because of him. He's not forsaking you because you're good. <laughs> he's forsaking, he's not forsaking you because he's good. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, even though you've wounded me, Samuel said. I'm not going to stop praying for you. But I'll teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. I go back to verse 24. Only fear the Lord. Serve him in truth with all your heart. Consider how great you have it. Hosea's name might mean salvation, but the name of Jesus is salvation. His name means Jehovah has become our salvation. He is the final fulfillment of all salvation. And he runs back for us like Hosea, who makes himself look foolish, going back to a woman who's unfaithful. Paul writes it in the first chapter of Corinthians, the foolishness of God. He's willing to take us back again and again. Even after all the things that he's given to us and what we often squander, he's coming back for us again. He's willing to recover us, even though the intent of our hearts are often against his word. Here's the amplified version of Hosea chapter 11. God will say it. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? I can't make you, I will not make you like Admar, Zebulun, because my heart cause within me, God said, all my compassions are kindled together for you, my nation, my people. I say today, he's after us, but are we turned? He's after us. Another prophet said, are you okay? Can I preach this a little bit here? It's 1145. I'm almost done. Another prophet said, it's kind of like wine that's been settled on its leaves. It's not been poured out and poured out and poured out. It was supposed to be poured out and poured out. But because it wasn't poured out, it collected all the grime and it kind of just went into the pot. But if it was poured out from one vessel to another, then it gets purer and cleaner. It's kind of like a piece of metal that's put in a furnace just one time and it's not really purified. It takes seven times to pass through the furnace to be purified. I'm, I preach to a generation, and not just here, but everywhere. The same thing. We've got to be turned. We've got to be moved. When was the last time you cried to God? Wept before God? 
Have you ever been there where you didn't feel it, but you knew you had to get there? I've been there. And I went through the motions until I found what was real. I pounded my hand on the altar, those steps, and I said, Lord, I need you. And I pushed through the chaos of my own thoughts until I found my tear. And my eyes cried to God. When was the last time? I say to you, don't be afraid to find it. You've got to have him. Don't be a tur a cake that would not be turned, but be moved by the Spirit. We go to the conferences, and I don't go there just to listen. I'm going for a word of God. And my expectation, my expectation leads my heart. It leads me. And if you walk into new life on a Sunday morning and you expect nothing, I promise you you'll find nothing. But if you expect something, it won't matter what's said or what's preached or what is sung, what is sung, you will find something because your expectation has led you to that point. That means your heart is ready to be turned. I'm ready to be moved. I want to be moved. I've got to be moved. I cannot take a vacation from being moved. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I've got to be moved. I know this is kind of odd. I know it's kind of weird. I'm, I, 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 but I, I, it's not, it's, this is not a job where I check out. I don't take a punch card and check out. We were taking our Bibles and reading our Bibles and writing it. Tammy said to me one day, I found so many great things in the Word. Oh, I'm overwhelmed with the Word. It just made us feel good, so we just went back and ate some more stuff. <laughs> yeah. We, we took a long 20-minute bus ride to the other side. I don't know where we were. Some other side of some other beach area. And, and, and we got into this little ranch area. And these Mexican men, they said, okay, we're, we're taking horse rides. I said, oh, this is so great. And, 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 and we got, there's, there's like 25 people on horses. And, and I got my horse. And, the, and I got up there. And the man pointed at me. He said, you, sir, you get on first. I just hopped up there and kind of, poof, the rush back of the, of the old days. <laughs> got on there. Got that lead, took that. He said, oh, your horse is named Nacho. I leaned down, I leaned down on Nacho and said, we're going to have fun today, Nacho. We're going to be like all these other women. Because there's all a bunch of women riding those horses. Me and Nacho. <laughs> I told her, our guide, his name was Juan. He, he looked at me and said, you, you have experience? I said, yes. I said, we got to run. He said, okay, when we get past this little trail, me and you will take off down the beach. We ran, we galloped down the beach, man. I was like, I was 15 all over again. Of course, the next day and the day after, my, oh, my legs hurt really bad. <laughs> my God, the inside, what it was a muscle I forgot that was even there. Dear Jesus, help me. Get the anointing oil. We were running. I was on the beach, looked over, saw a whale. I was like, this is so great. And all my mind went back to, oh God, I pray that there's a powerful church going on at New Life. I pray for the people that are lost. They're sitting in their pew. They're blind. They think they're okay. They got all the gifts. They got all the things. They got much, but they really don't have commitment yet, Lord. Because I can't check out. And I say... I've got to be turned. I want to be turned today and I want to be turned tonight. I want to be turned tomorrow. I want to be moved in my spirit. I want the Lord to talk to me when I'm in the car. I want to feel the Holy Ghost when I'm walking through the mall. I want to feel the Spirit of God at the grocery store. When I go anywhere, I want to feel the Holy Ghost. He said he wouldn't give up on me, but I cannot give up on him. He said, how can I get rid of you? I know where you are. I know the damage you've done. I know the idolatry. I know the passions and loves that war against my own love. I cannot give you up, but you can give me up. 
I'll tell you how you do it. You come in, you fold your arms, you chew your gum, and you think about other things. You get on your little smartphone and devices, and you text and you surf while I'm preaching. You don't clap when everybody's clapping. You never move to the altar, and you don't really even give, and you never make a sacrifice, and you always budget your sacrifice and your offerings. I'll tell you how you can stay unturned. You don't respond to the Spirit of God, and your eyes are dry, and you're not moved by guilt or fear or passion or love. And Hosea lives his whole life by divine order with a woman who any decent man would have kicked out. Uh But God said, I'm going to put a love for you. You're going to love Gomer. And she's going to do you dirty. And she's going to do you wrong. And she's going to come back. You're going to find her in chains and bondage. She's going to be a prostitute on the street owing somebody money. But you're going to go with your pack of, 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 of change and your bag of money and your gold. And you're going to buy her back not once, not twice. You're going to buy her back as many times as it takes to get her back. Because I want to prove to my people I'm not giving up on you. My name is salvation. I'm going to love. It may look foolish. I'm going to make my Myself look foolish but I'll get on a cross I'll bear myself naked I'll let them have my back and my hands and my feet because I love you I'm not giving up on you I'm the only one who can pluck you out of the father's hands is you I say to all the people of this church and if you count yourself in this church then you are a Pentecostal so I say to all the Pentecostals it's time to be moved it's time to be turned it's time to be turned over and poured out and poured out and poured out and poured out Stand now. We said it. I don't want to sing it again. But we, we sang it. Brother Zach, your blood is enough. But we just sang it, Zach. You played it right. The words were right. The rhythm was right. The band was good. The lead singers, they harmonized. Everything was in order. But while we're singing it, I'm wondering, is it really enough? If it's enough, why are we so depressed and angry and wounded and hurt and stumbling and blind? If it's enough, why are we looking for solutions in other places? If the blood's enough, Why are we still sending out messages asking someone to do something for us? Because we're not satisfied with God. If the blood's enough, why are we so engrossed in halftime events and major places that promote the wickedness of the world? Why is the church still competing with the sports arena and the job market? Why? Apparently, maybe, it's just a song. It's not a prayer. I say today, if you don't turn yourself, you'll die where you are. It'll be a spiritual death. But you've got to find a place for a couple minutes here and call out on God. I need you. I'm after you, Lord. If you don't feel it, don't condemn yourself. Just pray. Just speak to him until the feeling comes. Just say, I love you. You move me. You don't have to do anything more than what you've already done I worship you. I give you praise. I adore you. I magnify you. Yes, I exalt you.
Restore my joy. Restore my passion. Oh, Lord, help me to hear the word and to receive it. Ah. Ah. So much, so much, so much. We have so much, so much, so much. Don't stay where you are. Add to your faith something. You've been given so much. Come on, all the redeemed. Add something now to it. Grow, 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 grow. Serve, serve, serve. Dedicate your life to service. Serve, serve, serve. Don't think anything's too low, too menial, too empty. Serve, serve. Humble yourself before the Lord. He'll lift you up. Crumble your spirit. Understand the proportionate God that I preach to you about. Cling to wisdom, she cries in the streets. Say it out of your own mouth with sincerity. Your blood is enough for me. Your cross is enough for me. Your cross is enough for me. Thank him for all the blessings that are in your life. Count them as we used to sing one by one. Count them, count them, count them, count them, count them. You won't even be able to finish in a whole day. Count all the blessings and then say, thank you, Lord, now. Now I've got something to thank you for. Don't hold the negative thing and the hurtful thing to your eyes so close that it blinds you from all the blessings of the Lord. The Lord has given you the Holy Ghost and truth and a land and a country and a home and all the conveniences now do something with what you have energy and time and understanding and revelation don't lay up your treasures down here lay them up where the rust and the moth can't corrupt them don't lay all your treasures down here they're dying they are killing you your treasures that you've been laying up and you've been coddling they are a weight making you sink you're trying to hit get your head above water but your earthly treasures and your devotion to all of that is sinking your life I preach today the whole counsel of God Ah. let this be a pivotal point I pray in the history of this church let today this Sunday morning let the Shekinah glory move in here let the glory of God move in here I pray Father right now in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that you would move on the hearts of all the people and then let their hearts be open and willing to receive it let them pray I will not be a cake that cannot be turned Lord but I will change my heart of my life and my passions will be focused on you come on the Lord wants to make somebody in here a living parable don't resist the call of the Lord you are a living parable God wants to call you as a living parable yes yes he's going to speak to hundreds through your life of a living parable